0: Welcome to Drinks World, where we celebrate entrepreneurs in the beverage industry. And today's guest is Emil Dindalk, the founder of Liquidity. Emil is a well-known wine and spirits aficionado who has made it his mission to bring some of the world's finest and rarest spirits to South Africa. So please welcome Emil to the show. Welcome to the show and, and today I'm privileged to welcome Emil Dendelk to the show. Emil is a well-known spirits aficionado and you come from a wine family, don't you?
1: Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, my family started a Touring Wine Estate in uh, 1999 um, and recently sold it. Oh, really? Yeah, it was sold about 2-3 years, years ago to a Swiss consortium.
0: Okay. And was that not something that you were interested in?
1: Uh, no, look, uh, I started my own business on the spirit side of uh, things in 2003, so uh, the, the, my own business was always going to be my future, and uh, when we looked at the tour, my parents obviously said that they wanted to retire, and they didn't want the burden. Uh, my sister lives in, in Portugal, and my brother's in England, uh, so the only one that that could have done it is really me, and um, with my other interests, it just uh, didn't make sense.
0: Okay. And how, tell us a bit about your journey. How did you end up in the in the spirits business?
1: Uh, by default, really. Um, I studied as an industrial designer at the Cape Tech. Uh, went overseas, like so many graduates, to go and look for work, um, and uh, couldn't find any. Uh, the, the England at that point was uh, in the middle of a recession, and uh, there was no work in the design industry. And those who wanted to give you jobs said right, that you had to work for free, so I tried that for a little bit, uh, but working uh, all the nights in bars and during the day doing those things didn't really work out, and I came across a couple of uh, really good spirits brands that I thought would do well in South Africa, and I thought there would be opportunity because we'd never seen the premium side of, of spirits so much, at least uh, the ultra-premium, I think there's a big uh, misconception about what is premium and ultra premium. So we looked at ultra premium and we looked at categories specifically that that the market had never seen before. And uh, they're usually quite controversial. Um, Bourbon was the first thing that we looked at. And at that point in South Africa, your mainstays were things like uh, Jack Daniels and Jim Beam and Wild Turkey, but none of the super and ultra premium Offerings. So uh, we launched the first single barrel bourbons in South Africa and uh, we brought in uh, what became icons around the world, the likes of Papi Van Winkle and George D. Stagg and Sazerac um, from the antique collection. And uh, there it started. So we, we started looking for more categories like that and it uh, branched out into uh, Cachaca uh, from Brazil, which we'd never had before. Um, we launched the Prone Tequila in 2007. Um, and Compass Box 2005 and yeah, we've been looking for uh, amazing controversial brands um, ever since then.
0: Okay, and does that mean the, there's automatically a demand for those products or is it, is it still the same grind and um, or is it, is it just a handful of uh, retail clients that buy those products?
1: uh okay so uh yeah look in in the early days people didn't spend money on expensive spirits so um, we were coming into a market that didn't exist at all Um, uh, the people would drink things like glenfiddich but that would be a rare occurrence uh, and it's typically your dad and your grandfather who used to drink it and it's the bottle that he was given for uh his 20th anniversary at work so super premium was definitely not Something that people consider drinking and the whole um, movement around drinking less but better uh, hadn't even existed. So it was very difficult back then. Um, we couldn't give away the bourbons because everybody was drinking uh, Jack Daniels and lime, and uh, to sit and sip this stuff neat was just unthinkable. Uh, but I'd like to think that the industry came a long way since then. And uh, uh, but, you know, I think that we've always been a few years ahead of the curve when it came to a lot of the the products that we launched. Um, And slowly but surely, things are are getting there now. Uh, We launched the first sipping rum in South Africa uh, around 2008, 2009. Um, And people just couldn't get their heads around the fact that you could sip rum. Uh, Now we've got South Africans producing this stuff. So uh, I'd like to think that that the gin craze did a lot for for super premium spirits in South Africa. Um, and it certainly opened people's eyes to um, spending better money on better products, and not necessarily drinking so much of it, but uh, just investing more. And I think that's—it's been a, a trend all through through lockdown as well. Um, a lot of our customers have been telling us that uh, whiskey sales have gone through the roof, and it's not just cheap whiskey; it's um, all the expensive stuff. Um, we've certainly seen a growth in Aaron single malt and compass box, uh, of 50 to hundred percent in the last year. Um, and what a lot of the retailers have been telling us is that because they haven't been going out, people are spending their money, uh, drinking at home. And therefore it's, it's cheaper to spend money on a good bottle of whiskey than buying a couple of Jamesons in a bar where they charge you 60 rand a shot. Um. Uh, so I think a lot of people are moving in that direction, and uh, quality is becoming more important than than drinking for the sake of it.
0: Yeah, I think there's obviously the trend for for people who drink from a badge, and then there's people who understand the quality of the spirit. And I of think course. you probably in the latter.
1: Yeah, um, unfortunately, we still sit uh, with the issue of, of of badge drinking. It's like well, I say to a lot of people that. Uh, in certain cases, people don't really drink cognac; they actually drink brandy with a badge, uh, and the same thing goes for champagne. But um, it's it's where people start, so you've got to get into uh, the industry one way or another, and by drinking a badge, um, it helps create a safe entry into the category. After which you can then go and explore.
0: Yeah. So, how big is is wine in your in your portfolio?
1: Um, I'd say, well, uh, in 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 volume, it's it's probably sixty forty, and okay. uh, in value, uh, other way around. <laughs> so um, we sell a lot less volume of of the the high end spirits, but um, a lot more on the wine side. But I think the, the the value, average value of the spirits we sell, is is much higher than the wine.
0: Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your partners. Then, I mean, one of the I remember visiting Helmut Wilderer many, many years ago before, yes. before obviously, the gin craze. I visited him because he made some beautiful um, Kirschwasser or, or Williams. Oh, and Grappas and
1: Eau de yes.
0: Yeah, the Grappas wasn't quite my thing. I wasn't <laughs> quite ready for, you, for those. I, I still don't, don't think I am. I opened a <laughs> bottle of 2013 uh, Williams last night. Um, okay. Which are found in a, in a liquor city, but uh, how, long oh, have you been, how long have you been working with the Ah uh, Volder,
1: it's probably close on twelve years now, twelve okay. thirteen years. Um, so we got involved at, at quite an early stage. Uh, they didn't really have much of a um, uh, trade presence. I think there was a lot of uh, retail sales going on. But it was uh, it was a hand sell, and again, it was a category um, that at that point nobody really. I mean, grappa was a like you say, it's a difficult thing to, to stomach, and most people aren't familiar with good grappa, so uh the people who would buy it and drink it was was um uh, very little so um yeah we we got in there and we started trying to teach people about o de v and distilling fruits and yeah it's uh, it's never really been a a very popular category in south africa um for what reason I don't know that. i think uh maybe because it is um uh, destined to be consumed neat um we're not really a big country for neat drinking spirits. Um, we like to mix everything with everything else. Uh so I think it's a culture that comes with uh the the temperature and, and uh, the actual culture of Europe. Um and slowly but surely people get get into it.
0: Yeah, like the the ski slopes.
1: <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> Especially
1: the Kirschwasser and uh, the the Williamspe.
0: Yeah. So, um, tell us a little bit about the other partners. Um, you've got some really guys with really interesting stories, um, if if you don't mind sharing it just a little bit, that we can get an idea of the the guys that you deal with. Sure.
1: Um, way to start. Um, on the wine side, obviously, we've got the Turin, who, yeah. who was credited with producing um, one of the first, the high, well, it was the first high-end Bordeaux blend in, Uh, a five-varietal Bordeaux blend in South Africa. Um, And I'd like to believe that that we uh, were partly responsible for the growth and the popularity of um, Bordeaux-style blends, uh, which at the point of release in South Africa wasn't very popular because people used to uh, judge the quality of wine based on the single varietals they were making, and blends just uh, wasn't it. Um, So... That obviously came a long way, and we um, held many accolades over the years. Um, furthermore, we work with uh, a company called Cobos out of Argentina. Uh, and for those of uh, the listeners who know uh, international wines, uh, the owner was the founding maker of Opus One, who is seen as uh, the wine out of uh, the U.S. in uh, uh, in their wine district region there. So he made that for 18 years and then moved down to Argentina and basically created the the, the Argentinian Moldbeck category as we see it today. Um, on the whiskey side, we work with Compass Box, who uh, very few people know that they are accredited with saving Scotch whiskey as a category um, and basically throwing the rule book out of the window and, and, and going to bartenders and to young people who had stopped drinking scotch and saying, listen, let's just make drinks with it. Uh, All it is at the end of the day is just liquid. So uh, drink it any way you like, but drink it. And a lot of the the philosophies that they um, piloted in in the UK and the US and, and some of the top cocktail bars were adopted by the bigger cocktail groups and Eventually, by the big single malt companies as a way of saving the industry. Um so while they uh, didn't ne- necessarily have the most uh, visible impact, um, they had the the most um, physical impact, um, and very few people are even aware that that compass box was so relevant in the early days. Um, and from there, where do we begin? we've We've just started bringing with uh, in mecals.
0: Uh, I see that. From a
1: very uh, small producer in um, Oaxaca, um, their focus um, they've, they they launched two brands, one called Los Tanzantes," which means the dancers," and the other Alipus, uh, which essentially is a, a slang term for a drink in Mexico. Okay. Uh, Alipus specifically focuses around uh, terroir and the, how the plants are affected by terroir, um, over the seasons while growing. Um, so it's, it's a single village project that's produced by small producers, um, and some of the most handmade artisanal products we've ever seen. Um, some of the, uh, that mescals are produced in clay stalls. Uh, they're macerated by hand with big hammers. Um, they're done in clay pots, uh, well, they, they cooked in wood ovens, uh, underneath the ground and with, with organic rock. Um, So, again, a category that we haven't really been exposed to so far, um, and we hope to explore that. Um, Tequila, we did in the early days with Patron, and we all know um, how well that's done. Um, And we're busy working on a new tequila brand now, so um, there's uh, one of the oldest distilleries in Mexico. Uh, Well, yeah, they're one of the the producers that uh, the industry at large looks up to, um, purely because of their long-standing history and production they've been making tequila in the same spot for five or six generations um, they, uh, they they ultimately uh, committed to their craft and it's unlike a lot of other brands that we see out there, these guys own their actual stalls uh, they made it in traditional ways, um, they own their own agave and they buy some in but through contracts that they have with growers um, and really exceptional stuff so the people who say that one night uh, I have too much tequila, should feel safe drinking this stuff. Um, again, it's, it's made to sip, not to shoot. So, um, much more refined.
0: And that's still a work in progress.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, our nearest project, uh, we're about to launch uh, Cocky Vermouth. Um, it's one of the original uh, Vermouth producers out of uh, Torino, Italy. Um, The the founders and the owners are also on the board of uh, the the Torino Vermouth Association um, and they produce some of the most classic styles of vermouth worldwide and uh, one of the biggest uh, followings for bartenders around the world.
0: Oh, that's exciting.
1: Yeah, so that's actually arriving this week.
0: And then tell us a little bit about the rum that you've got.
1: Uh, well, we've got two rums. Uh, at the moment, uh, we work with uh, the rum that's been developed by Voldera under the Rogue label. Uh, and it's what they like to call a Cape uh, Cape Spiced Rum. Um, and taking the hint from uh, the Feinbos, which uh, is a category that they pioneered in, in the late 90s, along with the Stellenbosch University, um, they thought, well, why not start implementing some of these spices and flavors into good aged uh agricole rum. So that was released a few months ago, well, about six months ago. Um, and then we work with Diplomatica out of Venezuela. Um, and they are also one of the, the, the top producers of aged shipping rums. Um, their game is to, to make molasses-based rums uh, aged naturally in wooden casks. And they use um, barrels typically from, anything from French to American oak, uh, they use... Spanish Olorosa and Pedro Yemenez casks, and yeah, just absolutely amazing products. We are about to launch the single vintage product. Um, and we've just got the, the release papers for it. So uh, again, we're pushing the boundaries there. And the high-end ambassador rum um, is available at about four four and a half thousand rand a bottle.
0: And uh, typically, how many retail outlets do you get for for these products?
1: Uh, for the Reserva Exclusiva, which is our, our main brand that we push, um, uh, we've got quite a few. We've listed in, in pick and pay now. Um, we in um, many of the higher-end spa top shops, okay. uh, Norman Goodfellows. So A lot of the big retailers take a lot, taken it on, and it's doing very well. Um, it, it's it's really doing extremely well, and we're very happy with it. Aged uh, sipping rums like these, they they're seriously growing in popularity, and um, as soon as people taste them, we can see that that, that the response is, is one of delight as opposed to shock. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it's a category that's going to do a lot of things. It's going to require a lot of education. Um, but one thing that's certain is that um, rum is a category that, that, that women can enjoy tremendously. We In the early days with uh, Pirate, uh, it was by far our biggest market for, for the rum was the, the woman.
0: And and uh, do, you th- do you think that trend will also work for the local rums?
1: Um, I think the local rums still have a way to go. Um, you know, I, in terms of quality? I think in terms of quality, mm. yes. Um, I've tasted quite a few of them. And um, I think that, number one, it takes a lot of time to get to where these guys are. Um, I mean the the big international guys have been doing it for hundreds of years Um, and getting the the chemical balance right and the distillation and the sugar levels of the raw spirit uh, these are all very technical things that they understand how to do Um, and it seems to me like we're just jumping into it head first and there's been a couple of good examples I've seen but uh, I think for the most part um, the the rums are still quite rough and that's going to need some time and development
0: yeah I think uh, I mean the rum culture overseas is so old, and sometimes I think it's nearly older than scotch, and um, yep. you know there's so much experience, and we, we I guess we're starting off with a with a clean slate yeah.
1: Yes, and uh, look, I think we also don't really understand our raw materials yet. Uh, mm. I mean these guys uh, you know, a lot of the producers produce sugarcane themselves. they pick sugarcane the farms. Um, and they manage the process from, from beginning to end, whereas in South Africa, the majority of the rum producers are buying um, the, the uh, molasses from uh, Hewlett's and, and um, other mass bulk producers. Yeah. So uh, I know that there's one or two single estate rums made, being made in South Africa. I haven't tasted them yet, but um, I think for uh, these products to have good quality, you, have to need, uh, you need to have... Ultimate uh, um, control over the raw material right through to to the aging.
0: Yeah, and how how's the growth in the, for the for the kashasha?
1: Uh, kashasha has gone through a lot of ups and downs. Um, you know, it's been a very stable product in our portfolio, and it's done very well over the years.
0: You've had it for um, a long time, eh?
1: That, that yeah, it was one of our first products. That's okay. along with the bourbon. So, we've been working with it for almost 19 years now. Um, so, yeah, and it's, it's doing well. I think, uh, you know, we we could do a lot better in marketing the, the caipirinha and, and other ways of consuming it. Um, we used to spend a lot of time working with the Brazilian embassy um, and promoting their national holidays, uh, carnival, and those kind of events. And and. Just with the growth of the business, it's taken a back seat. But uh, we've put those things back on track now, and um, we're seeing slow but uh, slow but very measurable growth in in, in the category again.
0: Okay. Um, what else is there? You've got you've got so many different specialty spirits. <laughs> I'm trying to pay yeah, through, through your website. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a constant. Influx and outflux. Uh, you know, unfortunately, because we're independent, we suffer a lot from the globalisation of of first brands and the consolidation of of companies. Uh, so we've been terribly affected by um, a lot of the brands um, jumping ship because they have suddenly been bought by a big company like Bacardi or uh, one of the uh, the big five. Yeah. So we've lost uh, brands. Um, like Furnay Brunk, Grand Marnier. uh we lost Teeling Irish Whiskey recently, um, and that was all due to um, big buyouts. Um, so it's unfortunately a, a reality of the business, um, and it's not something that, that we can really guard against.
0: One, one of the distributors says there's only one certainty, and that is you're certainly going to lose a few brands. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a pity because you're the one putting all the effort in yeah. and the, the, the brand ultimately carries on where it left off. Left off. So um, uh, it does make it difficult to grow in this industry. So uh, the only real solution to it is to start your own brand.
0: Yeah, the, <laughs> you're right. Um, the bison grass, tell me the story on yes. that. Have you still got that?
1: Yes, we do. Uh, that's a, it's a very in- interesting category. And again, something that, that we haven't really looked at in South Africa, and that's infused, naturally infused uh, vodkas. Uh, Now, this product uh, is a very old and traditional way of making vodka. They used to make tonics out of the vodka in Poland, uh, and this specifically is made from a a type of grass called bison grass, uh, and it only grows in a very specific area of Poland. the producers go and harvest it. They've got uh, contractors who, and, and they, they, villagers literally, who go out and harvest the grass. They dry it. Uh, and then they take this, this grain vodka, uh, mostly rye based, uh, and they filter it almost. Um, you could, to a degree, say similar process as making gin, except we're not using other botanicals yet. It's literally drip filtered through these grass piles. And it takes on this amazing aromatic and, Herbaceous flavour, uh, reminiscent of apples and cinnamon, um, and it's a product that we used to work with quite a lot in the cocktail bars in London, um, and still today, it's it's just absolutely amazing. So uh, that, and fresh cloudy apple juice uh, and a, a, a rind of um, cucumber is one of the most refreshing things you'll drink in summer.
0: Okay, and is that? Ma- I mean, is the is a good response for, from the? From the retail trade, or is it more for the cocktail bars?
1: I think there's both. Uh, A lot of people who've travelled to Poland have seen it and uh, are fired because of the uh, the memories attached to it. Um, It takes a a huge amount of effort promoting this brand, and unfortunately, due due to the technical limitations that we have for labels, well, label requirements in South Africa, um, it costs us a lot of money to to get this product. Okayed by the Department of Agriculture. So uh, we literally have to order the stock in with labels on. We then have to go and reprint the, the new labels based on how the South African government wants them, strip them off the bottles and reapply them. Um, and that essentially takes up about 60% of all of the money they provide us in marketing support. Uh, but we do it because we think the product's worth it and it's, it's an exceptional liquid to, to, to have in South Africa.
0: Yeah, I think it's really time you take on that department and make them understand what problems they're causing with the the archaic um, classifications.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's it's about to get a lot more difficult. Um, The U.S., uh, as you might have heard, has recently um, passed legislation that they're now allowing 700 more bottles, which is the European standard, uh, into America. Um, and we've already suffered the consequence of this that a lot of the European producers and especially Scotch whisky producers are just simply not going to make product in 750 more bottles for South Africa anymore. Um, so um, a lot of them are just saying they want to simplify production and minimize the amount of SKUs that they hold and bottle stock that they keep. So they only keeping 700 more bottles. So. Unfortunately, a lot of brands are going to go missing out of South Africa as a result.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's, it's, it's really um, beyond comprehension why, why we have these laws. Eh?
1: Well, it was originally started to protect the brandy industry yeah. by KWV and the Distillers Corporation. Um, these uh, laws are unfortunately not governed by, in, by government. Um, it's actually by industry. Um, so, if industry says that they want a certain standard, that's what they get. But it has to go through three or four different departments who don't talk to one another and aren't linked in any way. Um, so, from the metrology department who regulates bottle size to the Department of Agriculture and the Liquor Board, uh, you've got so many people involved, and none of them want to listen to one another. Um, that uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's almost impossible to get anything done.
0: Yeah. Emil, when you started this business, um, it was—I uh, would say—it was before social media. Now it must be a little bit easier, but yeah. a lot of these craft spirits were obviously built on the back of, of social media. How does that affect or, or help your business?
1: I—I um, don't think it's—I uh, don't think it helped or affected us. Um, you know, but advertising in any form is a is a very difficult thing to do right. Mm. Um, in its best form advertising is is for, for the kind of brands that we work with, uh, probably one of the worst forms of marketing uh, because at the price points that we work in uh, it's very difficult for a consumer to justify spending the money on something he's never tasted. Um, so yeah, so uh, tasting the product is, is the most important and only once you've traction through consumers buying it in store, um, I, I think then it helps uh, create momentum and, and, and develop uh, the, the use of social media. So um, I don't think that any brand, in, in terms of what we're working with, that was ever built solely uh, on social media. And I don't think a lot of people really understand how to, to use and implement it Um successfully in order to drive volume and uh, like we see especially in the gin category over the last few years there's been a huge amount of of one-time purchases and a lot of it has given brands a false hope of growth or false sense of growth uh, because there were so many new new people onboarding uh, into the category that that there weren't many repeat customers and brand loyalty being retained And, and what we've seen is that even if you have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, that doesn't result in people actually lifting a bottle off the shelf. Mm. Um, so, tasting and uh, having a, a very solid marketing plan in place, uh, which is cohesive and, and that doesn't just focus on one element, uh, that's ultimately what's going to result in the people that that stay in the game and those who fall away.
0: Yeah, and and how do you how are you able to communicate with your your retail clients. I mean, it's it's such a small base, and they spread all over the country. Um, what does your team look like?
1: Uh, well, look, we we take a slightly different approach to it. There's there's two ways how you can look at distribution and how you communicate to either the trade or the consumer. But um, ultimately, it's down to the consumer. So if you're not consumer focused um, and getting them to walk into a store and ask for a product. Um, you know, you can have all the listings in the world, but if it's going to just sit there, um, you've only done half the job. So um, I think that, that the key that a lot of people miss um, is that consumers need to be the focus, not, not the retailers. Um, the retailers are important from a, a product availability perspective, but if, if the consumer side isn't done, your product's just going to sit on shelves and ultimately be returned.
0: Mm-hmm. And how do you achieve that? Are there, they, I mean, there's Whiskey Live and places like that, and I'm sure that you attend those with your whiskey brands. We've actually stopped.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, and the, for, for that sake, uh, the majority of all of these other shows, um, I'm sure you've, you've been to many of them yourself. Um, what, you know, we just realized that uh, it's fine being there, and it's fine getting people to taste your product, but Ultimately, the goal must be for them to buy a product because the brand retention, again, only happens after the show. Um, when you're sitting in a place and you're tasting 20, 30 gins or 40, 50 wines in the evening, it's almost impossible to remember what you liked, uh, especially when your head starts going fuzzy after 10. Um, so those events tend to be pointless unless people take the bottle home where they actually taste it again in their own time or with friends the next time. Um, so sales is always key, um, and we've turned away from doing the, the mass-focused events to smaller individual things where we can focus on the consumer one-on-one um, and targeting the trade where we've got sommeliers coming and learning at the distilleries and the winemakers and through the technology uh, and the, that we were forced to, to learn how to have meetings over the internet? Um, you know, we've started doing so many virtual tastings live out of Scotland, out of Mexico, out of Venezuela, um, that it's made the interaction between uh, consumer and brand so much more valuable and easy. Uh, especially where we sit in the point end of nowhere in the middle of the world, um, we don't often see the, the suppliers coming to visit. We don't see. Uh, The master is still coming to see us because it's just too far. Uh, and uh, I think that that the technology has made that a lot easier now.
0: So do you offer direct-to-consumer tastings?
1: Yeah, we do a lot of them. So our team is focused on setting those up and hosting them. We've obviously got a few uh, of our customers who are confident enough to host those tastings on their own. Um, But we like to work with the retailers to draw consumers in. Again, because of the, the price points of our products, uh, the the traditional stand in a shop um, uh, with a table and get someone to go there and taste product doesn't work because uh, the majority of the people aren't willing to spend 800 to 1,000 rand on a bottle of uh, whatever it is we're selling. Um, so the only way that you do that is by targeting the consumer in the right earning bracket and... Uh, <laughs> even more important not earning bracket but disposable income bracket um, and getting them to taste and then experience the brand
0: Emil and, and maybe the, I've been part to blame for this with this whole I, I guess people collecting these these premium brands in terms of the trade where, where some of the bottles are really specializing in keeping stuff that that is not mainstream is that working for the retail trade do you think
1: uh, I think it certainly does. It depends on the category, however. Um, whiskey has been a huge draw card for them, especially from the limited edition perspective. Um, whiskey, uh, I think, again, uh, the, the, the the collectability of whiskey, yeah. um, uh, just the mystique around it. Um, people are just going batshit, uh, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um, it, you know, the amount of fights that we have, you know, one of the brands that we import, Springbank, um, is hugely collectible. And, you know, we will often get allocations of anything from 12 to 30 bottles that has to service a whole country. And we've got customers three to four times that amount that all look for this product. Um, So how do you distribute 30 bottles between 40 retailers? Um, You're bound to upset people because they not only... Uh, it's not so much that, that they upset what they're getting. It's the consumers putting pressure on them to get more stock. And there simply isn't more. Um, so uh, the limited edition, it certainly is a, a great draw, drawing tool for people uh, to get consumers to come into retail to shop for something that's new and different. Uh, tequila is another category that's growing extremely fast. Um, and people will come in, and if there's something new and different, they'll come in and snatch it up. And while they're there, they're doing their wine shopping and beer shopping and uh, whatever else that they're going to be drinking the weekend and what uh, the wives and girlfriends want to drink. So uh, it's always been a stock standard thing. In the past, it was always this kind of product by being lost leaders. Um, now the new thing is limited editions. Yeah. Um, so it's um, certainly is helping retailers in, in, in differentiating, um, but I think more so than the product is the knowledge level in store.
0: Okay. So, d- do the consumers learn about them, I guess, on social media of the, of the distillers, and then they approach their, their retailer, or is it those specialty retailers like uh, Whiskey Brothers um, that, uh, that specialize in these products?
1: I think it's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the the whiskey fanatics—they uh, they follow so many social media sites and blogs and uh, other forms of communication from all over the world uh, that it's it's very easy to, to 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 know what's coming and what's not coming. Most of these uh, people are, are are subscribed to distillery newsletters, so mm-hmm. they know as soon as something new is released. Um, I had a call today about someone asking about a product we're only getting in three months' time. So the guys are on it. Uh, everybody, they know exactly what's happening, when it's happening. Uh, obviously, there's, there's other limited edition things, and that's where Whiskey Butter has been great, is, is their the single cask program. Um, they've done a lot of work there um, developing unique products that, uh, are not generally available in the world. Uh, so it's something unique to South Africa and to Whiskey Brother, um, And that obviously draws a lot of interest for people to try new things and, and taste.
0: Yeah, it's, it sounds to me like there should be an auction program, but that would kind of be... Um, I mean, the whole point is to, to get people into the retail trade and not to buy them directly off an auction.
1: Yeah, it, it, yeah it's, unfortunately, it's one of those things that a lot of the people are buying two bottles, one to drink and one to keep. <laughs> um, because whiskey has become a commodity and um, it's become a very, uh, yeah, Springbank is, 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 is the, the great example there. I mean, there were so much issues going around just with supply of the product that uh, Whiskey Brother got quite a, A unique solution to the problem, and they started drawing ref, drawing um, tickets for who can get the product, so that no, no one person is is, gets more benefit than the other. Um, But unfortunately, it's it's part of the the way it is. Uh, There's only so much whiskey and only so much sent to South Africa.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting solution because normally, if there's a shortage, the price goes up. but yeah, but and, and
1: the distilleries don't want it. They yeah. don't, I mean, they want their was to be consumed. Yeah. Um. So they don't want people to hoard them and hold them back. They, yeah. they want people to drink them and enjoy it. That's what it's for at the end of the day. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've, we've agreed with them that we won't push prices through the roof just for the sake of not having it. We'll still try and offer as much value as we can. Uh, but, you know, when you get so little of all of these things, you know, uh, it's almost impossible to, to to help everybody.
0: Well, I like the lottery um, idea. <laughs> Makes it's sense. a serious
1: way of doing it without uh, causing too much
0: tension. <laughs> yeah. Well, Emil, it it sounds like your business wasn't too badly affected by the whole lockdown. I'm sure it was, but uh, it sounds like you're back on your feet and. Um,
1: yeah, I think I think everybody's going to battle for a while still. Um, yeah, we got it, got through it. Uh, by managing the business very very carefully and managing expenses, um, we went so far as to even cut off the water to our building so that we wouldn't spend money on leaking taps and all the rest. So, um, you know, I think just good corporate governance was, was key during this time, and um, those who were good at it uh, will, after yeah, they threw it, and they'll, they'll continue being successful.
0: Mm. And in terms of your trade uh, representation, have, you are obviously in Cape Town. Where else have you got a, team members?
1: We've got Cape Town, Joburg, Durban. Uh, we've got physical people of our own on the ground. We um, outsource distribution in great to a company called Safari Wines. Uh, We're busy chatting to someone for the, for the Southern Cape, but uh, typically it's not a good market for us because of the price point of the items. Um, so uh, it would never warrant us to spend money on a full-time person in, mm. in a lot of those markets. Um, but uh, yeah, we we focus on the main financial hubs, and that's Joburg, Durban, Cape Town. Okay. And Pretoria.
0: And uh, where can people find more find out more about your company? You've got a website.
1: Uh, yeah, we've got the website www. Za. Then also uh, Instagram handles at LiquiditySA. Yeah, and I think it's the same for Facebook.
0: Okay. Emil, thank you for your time today. It's certainly you've got some interesting products, and I look forward <laughs> to you. visiting you in the Cape soon.
1: Wonderful. And yeah, thank you for your time. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to our stories here online. In the show notes you will also find a link where you can subscribe to become part of our community and be notified when we upload our latest content.